0: One thing I failed to mention uh, before my prayer is anyone interested in helping folks uh, affected by the hurricane that hit Louisiana especially hard, Hurricane Laura, uh, if you go to Disaster Assistance, Disaster Assistance COC, a guy named Mike Baumgartner runs that ministry and he is already set up in Louisiana And serving hundreds of meals a day. And uh, when the tornadoes hit. Putnam County some time ago uh, his crew was was there. I can't remember where Mike's out of, if it's Florida or where exactly it is but wherever there's a disaster of that nature he partners with a local church and goes there and has the trucks and the, the mobile uh, facilities to set up and, and provide several hundred meals a day uh, for the local folks that have been devastated by those natural disasters and so disaster assistant coc.com and uh, there's a place there where you can make a monetary donation if you'd like to all right so have you ever been in a situation where there was somebody who just for whatever reason did not inspire confidence uh, and so uh, for, you know for whatever reason uh, they they just did not make a good first impression and you just weren't sure about them and uh, it may have been a, a coworker, worker may have been somebody you met uh, and in some cases you know what it feels like that maybe you were viewed as the person that didn't inspire confidence in somebody else and uh, and so I remember uh, when Stacy and I first started dating I think it was, yeah, it was uh, February of 1988 and she invited me up to their home in Kentucky during spring break. So I had made about an hour and 45 minute drive north from Murfreesboro up to Glasgow, Kentucky and I remember there was a restaurant there, it's been leveled since then and they built a Rite Aid there, but uh, it was called Jolly's Restaurant and it was just one of those local sort of greasy spoons, it was kind of a diner and uh, I remember going there with Stacy and her parents, and I remember Stacy and her mom got up, I think to go to the salad bar or something like that, and I just remember being alone with her father, and I mean that felt like an eternity, (laughs) an absolute eternity, and I did not know how to engage that man in conversation at that point. And I don't know if he didn't know how to engage me or if he just enjoyed watching me squirm. Uh, It could have been one or the other. But I just remember uh, that he probably thought... Uh, at that moment, you know, uh, is this the best my sweet angel could do? You know, and and some of you guys may may know that feeling. You know, uh, that that you're you're uh, you're dating uh, daddy's little little angel, and and uh, he's just thinking, wow, uh, we have we've scraped the bottom of the barrel for this one. But at some point, then there here comes that phrase. You know, there might be hope for you yet. And that's the title of this morning's message. There's hope for you yet. We look in Acts chapter 17 and and Paul because he's on his second missionary journey now. And after this, if you join us on the Wednesday nights on YouTube going forward, uh, you're, you're going to take this journey with us, and and we're going to continue on. But there's a there's a third journey and then there's a trip to Rome but but Paul is is going forward in ministry and he is taking as as it comes and he is encountering all different kinds of people and what we find is that Paul Paul who tells us in scripture later on that I tried to be all things to all people in hopes that through me some might be saved. That I tried to be, did my best to relate to everyone is what he's really telling us there. And we see evidence of that because he's in Athens. Now, this is a city that has already had about a thousand years of history at the time that Paul is walking around the city. Now, let's put that in perspective. Our country is over 200 years old. You know, if you go to certain parts of our country, especially if you go up to New England, and you can find some really old buildings up there. I mean, Harvard University was founded in 1636, for crying out loud. That's our nation's oldest university. I remember the same year that I was a freshman at MTSU, we were celebrating our... Our 75th anniversary. Harvard was celebrating their 350th. <laughs> Put that in perspective, you know. And so, so yeah, there's there's some old buildings, some old institutions in our country. But boy, you compare that to some of the oldest places on the planet, a city like Athens, and this is happening almost 2,000 years ago, and they already had a thousand years of history then. And so Paul finds himself walking around. And he sees, boy, you talk about an idolatrous people. Because Paul didn't come out of a pagan background. Paul was a righteous Jew. You might even say a self-righteous Jew. But nonetheless, Paul was a very devout Jew. So he's a guy that pluralism, as it's known multiple gods, wasn't part of his life ever. He was a one God kind of guy. And so he's walking around the city of Athens and he's seeing all of these, all of these statues, all these different gods. And then he comes to that one statue. And many of you know this passage. You know what, that, what the inscription said. To an unknown God as if the people were trying to say, you know what, uh, we've thought about all these other gods, but maybe there's a god we haven't thought of yet. So we don't want to anger that god. So we've got a little a little statue for them, a little, a little blank pedestal, and a little inscription that says, to the god we may not have thought of yet, is essentially what they're saying. And so then Paul... Uh, Well, I'll just pick it up here in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching... May excuse me, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now, he doesn't jump on them with both feet for worshiping false idols. Notice that. That's important to think about. He doesn't criticize them. In a way, he compliments them. He says, hey folks, I've noticed walking around your city, you are religious people. But you've got this inscription to an unknown God, so I'm going to fill in the blank there. I'm going to tell you about the God that you do not yet know about. And so then he begins this wonderful sermon. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and be marked out. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him I love this though he is not far from any one of us in other words Paul is saying God wants a relationship with the people he created that's what God wants He wants a relationship with the people that he made in his image. And good news, he's telling them, he's not very far from us. If we reach out to him, we will find him. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And so he quotes a poet Eridus right there, somebody they would have been familiar with. And so therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has approved. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now that got their attention. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul has successfully reached them. Now this is a document that I came across this week. I wish I had a magnifying glass because boy, this is some tiny print. So bear with me. But it seems that there was something that Caesar invoked called the Nazareth Decree. Because after all, the people have sneered at the idea of resurrection. But... Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, feels it necessary to make a decree that they came to be known as the Nazareth decree. And what this decree said was, Ordinance of Caesar, it is my pleasure that graves and tombs remain undisturbed in perpetuity for those who have made them for the cult of their ancestors or children or members of their house. If, however, any man lay information that another has either demolished them or has in any other way extracted the buried or has maliciously transferred them to other places in order to wrong them, or has displaced the ceiling or other stones. You know, those graves were sealed by stones, just as Jesus' was. Against such a one, I order that a trial be instituted as in respect of the gods so in regard to the cult of mortals for it shall be much more obligatory, obligatory to honor the buried let it be absolutely forbidden for anyone to disturb them in the case of contravention I desire that the offender be sentenced to capital punishment on charge of violation of sepulture. Now, that's a whole lot of ancient legalese right there. But what he's saying is, hey, we're heard we were hearing that there's, there's something going on. People are following someone who has supposedly been raised from the dead. There was a tomb found empty. And so from this point forward, let it be known that anyone who empties tombs and we find evidence of it, when they stay in trial, if found guilty, they're guilty of capital punishment. In other words, what's the penalty, church? Death. Yeah. The Nazareth decree. Why? Because there was this growing and growing and growing, ever-growing following of a guy who wouldn't stay dead. And so, people are listening to this kind of reasoning. People who are very intelligent. Some of the great philosophers of their age. And they are coming to Jesus, some of them at least. Because Paul is willing to be all things to all people. He's going to talk to the people in the marketplace, but then he goes before this ancient think tank, and he's going to talk to them and present the gospel, the good news to them, in a different way. Stacy and I like to spend time out at the industrial park, Progress Drive. And uh, in doing so, we know, notice that there is some trash out there from time to time. It gathers. And so some time ago, I instituted the practice of uh, keeping some grocery bags in the back of my car and also some latex gloves, because I realize that when you're picking up other people's trash, it's pretty nasty, okay? That's all there is to it. And so uh, about every couple of weeks or so, we'll notice that the trash is back. It's gathered again out there, and so we, we enjoy spending time out there and walking and listening to books and such, and so uh, if, if you're going to be out there you might as well enjoy uh, a little bit of countryside that's not cluttered with trash, right? And so I I, I could wait for somebody else to come along and do it, or we could just do it ourselves. So uh, usually if I'm going to be walking about three or four miles, I'll just say, hey, this is my last mile. And then I'll put on the gloves and then start picking up the trash. And, you know, along the way I go down one side and come back the other and it's you know, I've got a heap and bag of trash and I throw it in the in the trash when I get home. But the other day I was out there walking by myself and I noticed something just utterly disgusting that someone had left there. And they were kind enough to leave the wrapper it had come in, if you get my drift. Much worse than a dirty diaper. I've seen those out there before too. But yeah. And and I, I saw it and I thought, oh, I've got to pick that up. Because I sure don't want someone else to have to deal with it. I don't want someone else to see it. Because sometimes there's people with kids out here. And so, sure enough, I finished my second mile and then I noticed... Two sets of people had parked at the other end by the highway and they were making their way up toward where I was. And so, yeah, I got my gloves on and grabbed my bag and I got rid of all that stuff before anybody could find it. Now, I could say, think the best of them and said, well, they, I'm sure they did it within the covenant of marriage and they just had a, a moment, you know, <laughs> a passionate moment but we probably think otherwise don't we church family yeah and so I could stand in judgment of them but the thought that came to my mind is their sin if it was a sin is no worse than any sin I've committed the reality is there's hope for them yet isn't there there's hope for them yet We can just think the worst of people. Or we look at people through a lens of Jesus. A lens that says, the person who does acts and leaves disgusting evidence behind for others to see, even that person is made in the image of God. And that because of the shed blood of Jesus and the opportunity that they have to hear the gospel and to accept it that there's hope for them yet now in Acts chapter 18 I want to skip down just to verses 7 and 8 because Paul is now in the city of Corinth (coughs) and so verses 7 and 8 say then Paul left the synagogue and went next door (coughs) I'm so sorry. And went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were what church? Baptized. Yes. It keeps going. And going and going. Wherever Paul takes the message of the good news of Jesus, whether he is received well in the synagogue or run out of the synagogue, he is going to keep looking for people who will take the time to listen to what he has to say. And the kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing because of it. But let's... Remember. Now it's been a few months. But let's remember where this guy came from, church. Let's remember what we read back here in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 57. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Acts seven. Yes, Acts chapter 7. Amen. We hear you, Lord. I thought your voice would be deeper. but let's not forget where he came from right church the guy who was preaching so boldly does it with the memory of standing there while they stoned an innocent man that scripture tells us had the face of an angel Our Savior, who shed His blood for that overzealous, self-righteous Jew, said, It's okay. There's hope for Him yet. Do not give up on the power of the gospel to change human beings into something that is absolutely beautiful. Don't ever, ever give up on that. We're going to take a pause right now. And we are going to gather around the table. And we are going to celebrate this man who would not stay dead. We're going to celebrate the fact that he shed his blood. And while on the cross, he said, It's okay. Forgive them, Father. Father. They don't know what they're doing. And it's okay. Because there is hope for them yet.